the Desert Ranch Podcast is brought to you from Indian Springs Working Ranch, located in the beautiful Pelencio Wilderness Mountains of Eastern Arizona. Indian Springs Working Ranch provides guests with an authentic working ranch experience. Guests will herd cattle on horseback, repair fences, and live as real ranch hands do. Check it out at www.indianspringsworkingranch.com. Also brought to you by Our Lazy J Wildlife Ranch, an education and conservation breeding ranch in Eager, Arizona. Get up close and personal with more than 56 species from around the world. Encounter sloth and lemur, cheetah and clouded leopard, as well as many types of hooved, feathered, and scaled wildlife on the web at ourlazyjranch.com. Welcome to the Desert Ranch Podcast with Vanessa Rohr. Vanessa and her guests will give you some insight into the lives of those who are keeping us from being naked, hungry, and thirsty. Now, here is your host, Vanessa Rohr. Before I sat down at the table with Kimberly Yazzie and Bill Inman, I had the pleasure of getting a tour of the Padre Mesa Demonstration Ranch, getting to see the fruits of their labor And what they've accomplished was inspiring, to say the least. Just listen as Bill and Kim describe the operation. In in our first thing, like I said, when you take on a big ranch, you don't look at the whole picture. You just look at where the cows are going and where they're going next. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to correct all the problems, then you'll never get anything done. So you're always looking at uh, like piecing the pie until you get all the way around. Right. And then, then you want guys on horseback all the time um, because, uh, you know, in those first few years, we're on horseback 40 miles because you have to ride through the pasture, crossways this way and around the fence to get to know the lay of the land, to get you some strategy, how you're going to get them up, and how you're going to round them out. So this is pasture one. And the one you drove through is Pastor 7. And um, so basically, uh, the fall herd, we have what we call A block, and that's where the fall herd rotates. And then we have B block where the spring herd rotates. And then we have uh, Penta and others that we stage so calves. Calves, okay. And does that look good? Is that down by the 40? Is mm-hmm. that, uh, okay. It's Where's big, open, open country. Um, it doesn't have a lot of trees. So there's a lot of pronghorn in there. But uh, out here, you know, one thing about is you got to watch the APDs because if things having problems from calving, out here, by the time you find them, they're dead. Because, you know, and so we watch our APDs. We don't go just all calving these crazy, but uh, we, we try to watch that because, uh, and we don't raise our own heifers here. We, we try to, but it's like raising a bunch of runaway teenage girls or something. <laughs> they, go, they go absolutely binoculars. And that was like, you know, we have a staging area and that would be where our, where our heifers would be raised. But, you know, it's open. You can you can see. So, what we do is we sell everything terminal. We do a terminal okay. trade, and then um, I just I just put out on the network, like in California, and you 
then I'm looking for some second-time calvers. Okay. And usually our bull suppliers uh, find them because that way they, I know the genetic sure. um, deal. So I'll say, well, you know, like California's a uh, hot plate since they're running out of water. And, you know, selling cows when you're running out of water is not a good option unless someone comes from Arizona. Right. So I'll say, right. hey, uh, I'll go 1,700 on those second-time calvers if, and uh, everything, and you can get them here. Now, that has to maybe go up a little since the fuel price is a little higher. Right. What we do is we take small producers and put them in a package and elevate them. More value on their lands. And once you elevate them and you get them real proud, then you have all all the bad stuff that people do to land seems to go away. You know what I mean? They take yeah. better care of their facilities. Sure. They take better care of everything. And they'll even say, well, because I'm, I'm in AB. You know what I mean? They, get, they right. get real proud of it. Well, and just getting better prices, too. I think poor people make poor environmentalists. So if they yeah. get more profit in their, see, see, see more fruits for their labors. So. Yeah, and this is a real margin business, and that's why you know all these all these promises. You 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 know like if you're if you're doing the fire service, and you know we need to talk about margins because you know if a wolf takes out some of your margins, and then you have to co-partner with a with a you know a cowboy at night, your margins you better watch it because you know I mean you're already paying that land use, and I can give you. You know the start of where your production costs are because and then if you don't have a market strategy on the other end you're just looking for a, a darn disaster i mean i see so many people like how much are you expecting for your cap oh you know i don't know what I don't, you know i don't know we work really hard to say we, we really need this if it exceeds that that's just great i mean you know but if there's a real dry dry period i'm just going to bite the bullet and we're going to try our best, but those weights are going to come down because we're going to get them gone quick. Right. And, you know, if we can keep them 60 days and really wean them where they're, where they're really independently mine, their bodies are shaped, then that's that's decisive. Okay. So, uh, um, it is, it made it say, well, what, what made you think of all this? Watching all my relatives go broke and watching, <laughs> watching uh, you know, myself go broke and like, you know, um, I don't think I want to repeat that. Right, you there's got to be a better way. There's got to be smart marks. I'd rather, I'd rather have, you know, and I've talked to lots of my friends. I'm not, I'm not reducing at all. Okay. I don't know. Or, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Good luck with that, because I did that in Nevada. I, I thought, well, I, I can get over this. Next thing you know, it's done. Right. You know what I mean? You're done, done. I mean, you're just done. Well, I had 168 head in, in, in Wyoming, and I wasn't mar watching the market, and I was, like, clinking all this money in them. And all of a sudden, that Oprah and that mad cow disease, you know, I'm like, uh-oh, you know, we're done. And NRCS, uh, you know, when they bought this land and made this relocation, they had all sorts of different agencies um, working um, with. And that's the Navajo relocation? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's actually who governs this land. It's 
office of now oh hope the new relocation company um, which makes it a lot better than the bia yeah yeah a lot better i didn't i think you were telling me a little bit about it and i didn't realize that it's that you guys have your own management corporation yeah, i do forward management for them okay you know i mean so and then we do stocking rates so we never know how many numbers are running over there um, for that way we don't want to give the impression that we're tweaking something Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we come up with the true numbers. Okay. And then we might say, well, reduce a horse or, mm-hmm. or oh, man, you know, you, you did this wrong or what, whatever, whatever. It's, uh, it's, it, but we don't, we used to, they used to try to micromanage those permittees. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think micromanaging people really has a sustainable thing. I think you just give them the, the information. Yeah. And say, this is the number. This is what the guy is telling me. Your water systems are working. Um, we did notice that you kind of overused that pasture. I'm not going to ask you why. I, you know that might be your preference. You might have let this one go to see that one. Sure. That one. Um, you had a lot of abundance, so you kept them in there too long. I, I don't. I don't judge any question. You. I'm just going to tell you where you're at. Mm-hmm. You tell me where you're going. Okay. Um, and if we say, well, this number, and it's not guiding with your stocking rate, then sometimes we'll even make accommodations and say, you know, if you'll pull off 10 head of cows, you know, during growing season and, and put them in our staging pasture, maybe that'll give you enough room to let it come up right when it starts raining. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can, if you could magically, now kill my <laughs> take all the cows off here during growing season and then just get a real good bump and then put it back on that would be great i mean that would be preferable sure that's not possible we don't always if you overgraze this if you overgraze this remember there's no place to run and no place to hide you're you're done you're done you're done done so we never played the done done right we're always still uh, like a rank age right there. These are what we call cell centers. We put these in, they, they were here. This one wasn't here. We made this one. But uh, so you could accommodate uh, different pastures with the same with the same trough. And this is what, uh, if we have a sick cow or something, uh, we can get her in here and then uh, one guy can just load her. Um, but those are our super troughs. Uh, we're re we're repainting now. Did you weld those kind of in house? No, we, ha- we actually had a fabricator. Okay. And, um, and you can uh, so um, primarily they had already built those. Uh, they just hadn't installed them all here. Uh, when, um, this, I need this those place for my had, camels, by the way, because they've got that divider down the middle and I have one camel that will stand in the water if you can't. Yeah, so we don't like the elk to go in there because what happens, they go in that cell center and then they'll blast the wire all the pieces. So we want to put um, overflow ponds at each water system uh, at each at each uh, place, like there's one right down here. Okay, I was so, going to ask how far away from the main water you like to Yeah, I like, I like to put them and then uh, the cows uh, wander over here, and then, uh, you know, in the morning, you can go check them. 
This is what we call B pins. A pins are down there, B pins. So we work our, uh, when we do that branding on June 18th, we'll have it up here. And then we'll have the vendor down there. Okay. Uh, we went and when they were redoing these coal burning power plants, we went and Skyped a bunch of these uh, towers. You know, when they were retrofitting them, you can go down there and ask uh, people, or especially when they're dismantling, they'll, they'll give you stuff like that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They'll even come and deliver it to you. Really? And then, you see all those yellow stripes? Those are all bent-up categories we cut to pieces. Interesting. You just go to the county and go, can I have those old cattle guards? What are you going to do with them? I'm going to build something. So uh, we do everything on horseback. Everything. Open gates. All the sortings on horseback. Uh, and we get the belt. Uh, so you give them tunnel vision so they can see the hole. Anytime you're working cattle on a horse and they start going round and round and round and round and round and round, and round like that, you need to put some blinders on so they can see where they're going. So uh, we're always looking, you know, how the how the cattle are. Um, this is our first. Uh, this is our first deal. I wouldn't live in it now, but this was our first outlining house. 14 years ago. We used to have two of them. The other one got so full of the rats, we burned it right there and buried the remains. <laughs> um, so anyway, it goes way back toward those hills, and we're going to take a cruise right through now. Um, you can see this one of those overflow ponds. Um, and the reason it doesn't have any water in it, we drained that tank. Uh, in the winter, and it's just filling up now, and it'll go into that old slow pond. Um, the reason we drain it is because that's fiberglass, and it freezes at the top, and then it busts when that ice falls. It falls from the top of the tower, and it drops down, breaks all the lines. So we we drain it. We just shut it off and um, drain it during the winter. Um, but I, I think I think um, I think we have something real special here. Um, well, we're one of the only ones that uh, you know take small producers and lift them up. But we also have cowboys that are really. I mean, you hear the term uh, that pastures over or that pastures under. Or that pastures this, and, you know. We have one guy who's been here for 14 years, and you go, he wants a range monitor, and he's like, I, I do, you know. And us older guys, you know, bending over and getting on your knees about a thousand times in one day, you really need someone to help you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we do is we have uh, GPS coordinates spots that are in the number two zone in each pasture and we go in there and cut everything that's grazable and then we put it in a bag and we weigh it and do a coaching um, consumption rate ground cover and that tells you and then we split it in half for 50 percent and then reduce it another 20 for all the wildlife 
Is this stuff graceable? Is it like yeah, that's Mormon tea. Yeah, but usually uh, it's not preferred. Okay. Um, sheep, sheep are really um, get after it, but cattle. You know, anything you take off the resin you put out here, they would just pretty well devour everything. But you know, ours has a buffet, and it's like okay, black gamma. You know, let's do black gamma first. Gamma grasses. Let's do. Um, some wheat grass. So, but you'll see them nibbling on this and cutting the top off of it. That that was called Mormon tea because actually you can make a tea out of it and it's supposed to keep you awake, keep you going. All it did for me was send me to the bathroom. That's not like good. I had to try it. Guess you were awake doing that. Yeah, I was awake. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and the cowboys are really into like, see this plant, this wolfberry. Okay. And in wolfberry, they're saying traditionally that means there's uh, like, uh, like remains. Oh, okay. We have a similar one in South Dakota that we call buffalo berry. It gets a little white berry, but it, the leaves and the brush look very similar. Mm-hmm. It's kind of thorny and rough, but it's usually mm -hmm. in rocks. And since we have all these Anasazi sites, some of the, uh, you know, you just learn from from different people, I mean, including Kim. And uh, you know, and Kim, Kim, uh, you know, sometimes this this place can be really challenging. And you're like, it's just one day. It's four o'clock in the morning. I'm just. And then she's like, can I bring over my 4-H group? And they're so kind and they're so, and they, yeah. the house is full and the kids are just wonderful. And you're like, it wasn't such a bad day. This is a good day. You know what Yeah. yeah. A bad day is, you know, like, oh, the crane truck is stuck in the sand. <laughs> and, uh, we have no idea how to get it out. Right. Yeah. Out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a horse is stuck in the cattle guard and you need the green yeah. to get the horse out. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it, it goes on and on. But uh, one thing is, is that when you're working with a distributor and they're, and they're really bought in and they're excited about it, um, and we go right up to the higher office. We don't deal. I mean, uh, we go right to the owner and the chief operating officer. Some of them come here just to, just to be unique, and they'll stay at the ranch house. The chief operating officer used to come here and stay for weeks on end. Where where's their headquarters? San Antonio. San Antonio. But they have a meat cut lab, so that's all part of your All that green. Um, the cows are over there in number eight. Well, a herd is in number eight. And, uh, and then we have, uh, you know, we have some old ancient uh, areas, you know, where the ancient ones. Um, now, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, the ranch, the ranch, I, I just want this thing to, to be able to survive past me and, you know, come when I'm 90 and 
you know, someone said, oh, this is what we're going through now. This is what we're going through now, you know. I, I want the whole thing to continue. It's just so much damn work. I mean, we used to work seven days a week because there wasn't nothing else to do. Just, I mean, we lived out here. It was seven days a week, uh, 12 hours a day, uh, 14-hour days. And uh, now I've got, my, uh, I've got another place. 80 miles. Uh, you know, and, and we're, we're going to make sure that the ranch goes in good hands, but we need it, we need it politically protected. In other words, we don't, we don't want the tribe or the BIA to go. We want it all of a sudden because uh, then they'll screw it all up. Um, and so Kim, Kim's our spokesperson. She's actually been to Washington, D.C. speaking on our behalf. So she's actually a million dollar meat sales girl, but she's also a, oh, a lobbyist. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> she goes marching in there to the senator's office. I'm going to tell you like it is. Good. Yeah. Today's Desert Ranch podcast is brought to you by Roar Zufari, located in Vienna, Virginia. Known as Fairfax County's largest petting zoo, Roar Zufari's goal is to connect families and animals and create awareness, understanding of wildlife, and the environment in which it lives. The 30-acre family-owned zoo is located at 1228 Hunter Mill Road in Vienna, Virginia. Visitors are offered a Zufari tour, walking tour, camel rides, and the zoo features a large walk-in parakeet aviary, magical butterfly gardens, and numerous memorable opportunities to get close to animals of all sizes. On the web at www.roarsufari.com, also on Instagram and Facebook. You're listening to the Desert Ranch Podcast with Vanessa Rohr. We hope you are connecting with our guest today. Now, back to the show. Here again is Vanessa Rohr. Well, we're here at the Desert Ranch Podcast, and uh, we're here with Kimberly Yazzie and Bill Inman. And uh, let's start with Kimberly Yazzie. And Kim, tell us where physically we're located right now. We are at the uh, Padres Mesa Demonstration Ranch here in Chambers, Arizona. And what's the significance of this ranch to you? The significance of this ranch to me, um, basically my home, my new home, I guess you could say. Um, I am the part of the third generation of the uh, 1970 Relocation Act, and so this is brand new home for me and my family. Very awesome. And... Um, it's it's a brand new home for you and your family, but you've been here quite a, quite a while. Yes, mm-hmm. we've been here for the past, I believe, uh, thirty years, and basically grown up here. Uh, have very little memory of having our grandma and or my parents and everybody been raised, um, and so it's just nice to be in a very luscious area of nice land. Um, Lushes forage, uh, beautiful cattle, um, amazing people to work with from family, um, part of the 14-hour range unit that's right across the street from us there. Um, 
and just a lot of growth and learning. So I think it was at a cattle growers meeting that you and I first met, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of the uh, relocation program. Uh, where we're at geographically is there's a lot of tribal lands around here that are um, Navajo reservation. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how, what that relocation program has looked like and who was actually relocated. And, and it's been over a period of that, if I understand this correctly, like 30 years that people have been being actively relocated. Do I have that right? Right. Um, over 30 years or so, uh, see, the relocation took place in the 1970s. And um, basically, my grandparents and paternal grandparents are part of this relocation act. And they lived on in the boundary of Hopi. Um, so the Dinabato area, coal mine area, Blue Canyon area, those parts of the region of the reservation. So central, you know, part of the Navajo reservation. And um, they have lost a dispute uh, to our neighbors, the Hopi, and we were uh, relocated to this new place called Newlands in Sanders, Arizona, and um, been here for the past 30 years. And so it was, uh, I guess at the time, I could say that it was an emotional, devastating um, move for all of the families, which would be my Ken, my relatives at the time. Uh, during that time and um, having to make that transition and that sacrifice um, was just tragic. Now that I'm older and I can kind of see things and how things panned out, um, I'm very thankful for the sacrifice that my grandparents had taken to move us out to a new area, kind of a second chance almost. Um, and at the time, they were used to, oh, they were used to open range. I mean, they would move their herd from winter camp to summer camp all across because it was open range. Of course, then the resources were there at that time. Um, and then having to make the move to come here in a controlled environment, brand new to closed range, um, closed pastures, is kind of devastating. I, I thought I can see that um, for them. And over the past 30 years, it's been a lot of growing to the benefits of close range and really appreciating um, quality over quantity and understanding um, the critical steps to get there and um, saving our resources around us as well, especially in a time of drought. We're still able to do what we love um, and I think the most important, the the brightness of all of this is we were able to build a beef program and it's really brought in a lot of families together and um, and agriculture is, I guess you could say, the home to a lot of our Native American tribes around and we hold that wholeheartedly and to be able to be sustainable and continue to do what we love and pass it on to the next generation speaks volumes. Um. That's awesome. And uh, I was just struck, and I'm going to have Bill talk here in a second to, um, you know, what you've, what you guys have accomplished here with the, you know, basically regenerating the lands 
to the level of productivity that they are. You know, here it is, uh, you know, we've, we've been in a drought and we don't have our rains yet for the year. And I was struck when I came on property that there's a lot of cool season grasses, that there's a lot of greenness, um, that you don't have the dirt piles uh, that you do in a lot of areas, um, you know, in, in Apache County right now. And so I, I can definitely see the hard work that you guys have, have done with your rangeland. So Bill, can you talk a little bit about how you came to this program and, you know, what, what you've had to do with your team here to get the lands to where they are right now. Well, sure. It's uh, the Padre Mesa was a, a, a piece of property that couldn't be developed because of anti-sazi um, arc, arc sites all over. So they couldn't build it into a, a community function range. So just so I'm clear that the this was the the designated relocation site for the for the um, Navajo people that were being relocated, but it couldn't be developed. Right, it could not be developed because of all the arc sites, Hanasazi arc sites, and so on the normal range units they have acre acre lots, and then they have their their range land, and it could be fourteen fifteen thousand acres. Or, 28,000 acres. There are different variety of sizes, but their home sites are in a cluster. Mm-hmm. And that way it protects, and all those family units run cattle out there. Well, Padre Mesa was going to be part of that, but unfortunately they couldn't develop because they found many, many arc sites. So that, 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 uh, that limited the development. Then it was it was used in many many different phases to benefit the relocation uh, act and the people. Uh, many of those were failures, uh, and it was all financed by the government. So one of the things that the relocation uh, organization found out it was that these people were were natural herdsmen or natural uh, land people, and so all they needed to do was bring the a positive image, a better quality, uh, and bring their traditions up. Uh, to something that people are seeking, um, so we were we were tagged to come in and make the Padre Mesa into a self-sufficient uh, ranch without paying a lease, so to say, our land taxes and our our tax and our payment would be to bring the values uh, to the community. Which is a different concept instead of the community uh, benefiting the ranch. Now the ranch is going to benefit the community. Mm-hmm. By doing so, we had to, you know, address animal health, uh, breeding stock, uh, sales, and, and, and do it in a slow way. And uh, But first and foremost is taking care of the land. Because you know it's quite well as I do out here, there's no place to run and no place to hide. 
So if you overdo the land, you're just done. You're done. Um, and then and then to get a product and you and you put the, these people's tradition on it on a product, um, then you really have a special product. Um, so the, the 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 thing with Padres was you have to make an impact, um, especially in the livestock health um, arena. And uh, by doing so, you have to complete um, this animal health. They had been plagued with trick and they had uh, no vaccination protocols. We're not saying all of them, but remember these are families that have 20, 20, 20 cows apiece. Um, so if you have one, one set of cows that are doing great, but the overall image they're doing poor, and then that gets classified as, as poor product too. Mm-hmm. So um, by doing so, we we networked with with a food distributor, uh, you know, which Kim works for now, uh, and and by hooking into the feed yard, uh, now we're doing ninety something percent high choice. Ninety nine point nine. Ninety nine point nine. Uh, that's almost a hundred. Yeah. And, and out of that, about twenty percent prime. And you're yeah. talking about range conditions out here. Yeah. So and and then you know when people start seeing the dividends. Right. Um, then it's not no longer you're not preaching to them, they're already doing it. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean. And you're talking about people uh, that we had to that couldn't speak English, mm-hmm. couldn't read or English, couldn't write. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, we had to have interpreters. And let me just tell you, they're, they're basically kind of like me. I don't like to be preached to. I like to be shown. Right. And when we show them the dividends, uh, even we do forage monitor on 360,000 acres twice a year, mm-hmm. as, as I've shown you today. Um, we have cowboys that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I would say you don't have cowboys, you have range managers, right? Because you were telling me, like, they, they are just not out there checking the cows. They've got quite a few things and responsibilities that they're they're doing. They look at wildlife habitat. Mm-hmm. They look at different forage. They, they look at fence repair. They are equipment operators. Mm-hmm. Um, but their number one thing is get on a horse and go. Right. Know? Um, and and did they come with all of those skills or those things that they acquired once they got here? No, no they had some skills when they got here. Yeah. They just didn't know what skills they had. Okay. But they've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, whenever I was hiring, I wasn't looking for a cowboy. I was looking for honesty. Mm-hmm. I was looking for someone that tell you the truth and tell you straight up. You know, I, I can ride a horse, but I don't know nothing about vaccinations. That's all I need to know. You're going to be hired mm-hmm. because we can teach you all that. But if you give me a line of bull, I don't need you around mm-hmm. because I need someone we can trust on 360,000 acres. Right. You know what I mean? So in 80 families depend on us um, that live across the street. Now it's four tribes. Wow. And, you know, we market probably over a million and a half dollars worth of cattle a year. Yeah. Uh, 
And we started off with a herd of 100. Now, was it really a lot more fun when nobody knew we were here? <laughs> yes. And there was no time, and we had no watches, and nobody cared. Yeah. All we had to do is tell Brendan when we were going to come in and eat. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. You know what I mean? Now, that was really fun. Yeah. But, you know, you have to be practical. And right. now that it's the full-blown two right. beef labels, and we actually support a third beef label, we got Navajo beef. And now we have NAB, that's Native American beef, that comes from four different tribes. And we sell product, uh, cooked product and raw product from Santa Fe all the way to El Paso. And, uh, and our producers, I do know, they, they, they went from some of the lowest valued calves in the state and surrounding states to now the highest price cows mm -hmm. in the state and the rounding states, yeah. bar none. Right. I mean, that from the lowest mm -hmm. to the highest. They have to really feel good about themselves. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yes. and their families. Sure. Yes. And That's so, better. you know, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. And uh, it, it was not just made by, by no means, by mm -hmm. no means. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and, and I feel honored. I never started a ranch from scratch. I always started a ranch that was already stocked and then a train wreck. Mm -hmm. uh, or one that you're just hired on and you got to learn how the ball rolls. Mm -hmm. uh, or a family operation, you have no input. And I mean, you can see things going wrong, but you have no input. This one, I mean, we have no cows. <laughs> A dog and a horse, and they used to call us the cowless cowboys because we had cowboys before we had any cows. We, it was such a train wreck, you know what I mean? And now, you know, and nobody really cared about coming out here because it was just junk. <laughs> How long ago was that when you came out here? 14 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 14 years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who came first, Bill or Kimberly? I think I came first. Of course, I was just a child then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just a child then and then left. Um, and uh, was, I think I was maybe gosh, I was just a teenager then, I believe. And then later on, went to school, did my thing, and then uh, came back as an ag teacher. And um, the school that I had taught at, I could not have um, cattle or anything type of animals overnight because of insurance purposes. Oh. And so every time I would do a lesson, I would try to make it as real as possible. And I, I was like, man, there's got to be something you know nearby, uh, something got to click to resonate with these students that I have. And at the time, my entire family was part of this starting of this beef program. Okay. And so. Um, I believe even my younger sister and my nephew and my cousin Carol used to work this place yes. before Bill got here, and so um, actually he was and, my first employee. Yeah, first employees, and so Teenage. then later they were like, "Why don't you bring them out here to the ranch and stuff?" And I said, "Oh, that'd be cool. Well, yeah, let's start doing that." So I started bringing and busing out my students to Padres just to learn about vegetation, or learn about you know, the tradition that was happening here. And that's the first time I think I've ever met Bill was coming to the site and just making that connection. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
my second visit, I believe, is when the talk about the beef label came out, and I was just like, what? Yeah. You do what? Like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And my third visit, I came, and there was a tall gentleman here, and uh, lo and behold, I guess that was a... Uh, our CEO at the time and they um, had shared their program with me and stuff and so I thought it was a unique program and I said well why don't we um, buy true Native American cattle so you can call it Navajo beef and I, I don't know I guess I planted a seed I'm not sure exactly what happened there and then um, left and then one day I was on the bus coming back with my CDC team from uh, Payson with FFA students and things. And Bill calls me and says, come to dinner. And I'm like, it's eight o'clock. Like, <laughs> I come to dinner, you know? And I was like, oh, well, I have to stay in the parking lot till all these kids go home. And I thought they were just kidding. And he's like, no, we're still here, waiting for you, come to dinner. We had filet mayo. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, pride. <laughs> oh, wow. She needed to come to dinner. Yeah. So I came, and this whole table was surrounded with everybody. You had our CEO, you had our commissioners, you had who else was here? Yeah. There was a slew of people here. Yeah. And um, sat here, and they shared the beef thing with me. And I think that night I was offered the position to, why don't you come be part of the Labatt team and help us with the Native American Beef Program or Navajo Beef at the time. I was, I was floored, I was like, I, I don't know. I was like, because I was really having a lot of fun being an ag teacher. I was nominated that same year as the youngest ag teacher award or something like that. Yeah. And so I was really happy with where I was at. And um, they just would stop bugging. And so finally I had to really sit down and think <laughs> about this for a long time. And um, my uh, grandparents, they were into a lot of their cattle and everything else. And my dream was to go and do the equine world and possibly go on to vet school and things. And so I have to come and face with reality. And I thought, okay, if grandma and grandpa want me to do something like this, I'm gonna give it a shot. And education and teaching will always be there. Let's take a risk, you know? So I said, okay, I will join the team. Let's see where this goes. And my first year it was just, like, what am I doing? How do I, what do I need to do? Where am I supposed to go? So it was a lot of learning. Um, but after the second year and just going around and learning uh, my about my own people and their weaknesses and finding their strengths and having to be the, uh, the communicator in that position and helping to educate and uh, really bring benefit to what we were doing and creating, really what we're doing is creating a social economical uh, engine for our community. And um, once I think we puzzled that and put those things together, it just hit home and I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay here. I think I really like what I'm doing here. And so my classroom students changed to an older group, but yeah. it, it's amazing, I really like it. The adventures have been amazing and sometimes I'm like, how did I get here? What am I doing today? And um, the other one was, I think when Bill had shared me going to Washington to talk to senators and things like that, um, I had no idea cattle would leave me there, you know? Right. And things like that for the benefits of our people. 
but it's been amazing. When you first came on, was your main goal the animal health program? Was that what you were primarily working on with the community? The animal health side, um, yes. And then I'm trying to educate them about how the markets and the specifics and what we needed to raise good quality cattle. So that focused down to the genetics, the importance of when to wean, um, the consistency of the type of vaccines that we were using, because we wanted to be consistent all the way to the feed yard mm-hmm. and harvesting facility. Um, so basically creating this huge, humongous team to be all on the same page in order to continue to break the choice to prime. Mm -hmm. And it's taken a good, oh gosh, I think three, four years was our growing pains, the biggest. We had so many tractor trailer loads of rejects. Yes, so many wrecks and so many different things. (laughs) Like with every year, it was something, something, something. Yeah. And we, I was sending more more cattle to the sale barns than I was to the program. Yes, I know. Yes. And so it was constantly revisiting the families and trying to educate. Um, We've been to so many chapter houses, I think is where we started. And it wasn't just me alone, and it was the entire Labatt team. And I think that's really what grounded me to stay too, Mm -hmm. knowing that I wasn't alone. I had an entire team behind me to really help and Um, They also took the time to really study the region that they were going to start marketing to and learn that in New Mexico and Arizona, the number one customer between those two states was Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we, if we're going to do business within those states, what is it that they need? How can we partner with them? When you say that they were rejects, like on what level, was it on the cutout that they were being rejected or was no, it at no, the feed out? No, no, live cattle. Live oh. cattle. Live cattle. Okay. They, live just, cattle. they just weren't, um, weren't... Just fitting the program. They weren't... They weren't... Uh, okay, gotcha. They, like, for example, the vaccines, maybe they were there, they were undernourished, or um, let's say they didn't make weight. We were, they had we were buying coriander in were them or... Yeah. 300, they weren't weaned, things like that. So yeah. a lot of things. And that fourth year, we held our first Native American Beast Symposium in San Antonio. And so this whole entire time, we were collecting data and everything else and trying to really focus on what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the help of Billy Hall, and his team from the feed yard side with Bill's uh, data also and then some of our producers that had been with us from day one we just all kind of came together um, along with our direct source meats which is a sister company to Labatt Food Service and so everyone at one table talking including chefs and I think that's the unique thing about the program too we're able to connect. five star chefs sit down yes. with cowboys yes. yeah and that's and that's the conversations that need to happen right because they I mean that's the customer that's the final person that's using the end product and what is it that they need because right. a lot of that gets misinterpreted and they don't talk so then how does the rancher know what they need to raise and what sure. are the things that they need to do and so now we're making this full circle connection and the, and, sh- and the chefs want to know the story okay. so they can tell their customers yes. sure how special exactly and the consumers constantly changing all the time they want to know who's growing it is it being handled in a humane way is it stress-free and um, with our story it's you know it's Native Americans and not a whole lot of people know we still exist Native Americans and our cattle come from tribal lands mm-hmm. um, and all of that is traced back and we have partnership with a, a company uh, where food comes from who helps us you know 
stay true to our product to say we are growing what we what we say we are growing. No mislabeling here. There's yeah. a lot of mislabeling in yeah. America right. Beef, but right. no mislabeling here. We have an audit that we have audited. Everything we say and do mm-hmm. and advertise is audited by IMI Global. Does that make you ISO certified, or is it a different type of certification? No, it's pretty much aced and sourced. Okay. Well, we don't we don't need we don't need any other labeling, but aced mm-hmm. and sourced. Okay. So that meant you know we had to get you know GPS coordinates and you know go through the deal and have it sourced and aged and sourced. You know that was just pretty well common sense and EID tagging. You know, a lot of people reject the ID tags, but how do you know how your performance is doing if there's no traceability? Right. And there's no honesty in labeling. Um, so we wanted to be different. We wanted everything on the wrapper to be honest, everything to be upfront. Uh, so we would know how to improve. Let me just say, now I've worked in a feed yard. Those first shipments of cattle we did were, were not doing 99.9% choice. And the conversion rate was uh, like 13 to 1. And now it's like 7 to 1. We've come mm-hmm. a long way. It, it, yeah. You know what I mean? Because of that data feedback. Mm-hmm. A calf can look real good, but I can't, I, I don't know what 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 it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all I do is look at it. Um, but... You know, when you get that data back, which a lot of ranchers have no idea what that data is. Right. Um, but if you're selling at a cell barn, I'm not knocking a cell barn, but you just have to do some strategies to benefit. Right. Um, I, I think in America, small producers need to team up and make co-ops uh, similar to ours, and you, you can make a branded, a branded product. Um, but, you know, there's lots of challenges in the way. You know, how do you get rid of all the cuts equally? How do, how, how do you do that? You know, because you can't be selling ribeyes every day. No. You got to sell everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. And everything's got to move now. Right. Um, you know, and so you, you have to have a sales team that knows what they're doing and can relay that to potential customers. Um I remember when Kimberly was first hired, she was selling 15,000 different grocery items and going crazy. <laughs> and now she only sells this item. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which, which is real handy. Um, but, uh, you know, and someone tells you they know everything about the beef industry, they don't know nothing because you'll never know everything about the beef industry. You're constantly learning, you're learning, you're dying. Um, and now I've learned, you know, five-star chefs, some of my guys, they didn't even know what a five-star chef was. Is that like a general? You know, they, <laughs> they were like, what, I say what, so. I what, say what, so. what is prime? What's prime? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they've never heard of any term. Because we like only that. eat the, the cattle that we can't sell. <laughs> the, oh, yes. the rejects. Yeah, right. uh, so... So, you know, in, 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 in this, in this, you know, when you have a five-star chef, you're sitting on our ranch house right now that Cowboys redid, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we had a five-star chef in the kitchen with a table full of Cowboys. 
Now, where do you see that? You know, you don't. That, you don't. That's awesome. And he's and he's asking the cowboys for their stories, and they're eating prime. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean? What better? Mm-hmm. And then guess what? Come to my restaurant. I came to yours, and then inviting cowboys into like a five-star steakhouse. Well, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of cowboys don't get to see the inside of five-star steakhouse. Right. And then it's really nice because then the chef uses the story to make a unique, unique dining experience. And that's just, uh, in my opinion, so important for the consumer to connect where that food came from. There's, we've, I mean, 20, 30, well, probably 30, 40 years ago, the consumer was maybe one or two generations removed from the farm or agriculture. Um, and, and now I don't, I, it's like six points removed from Kevin Bacon or something like that. Sure. But, and, and, you know, whenever I was growing up, you know, cattle were a big business, but it, you didn't have to worry about quality because it was all going local. Mm-hmm. Your local butcher shop. Your local butcher shop, mm-hmm. your local thing. So they they didn't have South American beef coming in. Mm-hmm. So whatever cow didn't make it, she got ground up for a hamburger, you know what I mean? So it was a whole different world and half carcasses went into a grocery store and the butcher would butcher it. Well, all those are changed. So we have to compete. If America is going to compete, we are the best of the best in raising livestock. We just, the highest price on production. Mm-hmm. So if we don't make a product that can't be replaced or duplicated, we will vanish. Because they can replace this with a product that's cheaper to make. But if we make a superb product that's all known around the world and we can't be replaced or duplicated, we'll always have a customer. And that's just it. We have to get the word out. We have to make sure that everyone in our own food chain understands why the product that we produce is superb. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. that and that's, a little that's bit what of you guys are it doing good. That's a little good. bit of politics yes. because, let's be honest, mm-hmm. you know, uh, American uh, labeling in grocery stores is not, mm-hmm. it's not true. In fact, most of it's BS. Mm-hmm. Um, but that USDA sticker is right. not. Um, so, you know, we, we've got cattle coming in from Mexico. We even got food distributors, including Kim's, that can buy $28 million worth of beef from South America. But it won't hold a candle to ours. Right. Ours is preferable. We just don't raise $28 million worth of mm-hmm. meal. Now, one thing about out here is we've learned, and I've learned the hard way, it's the land first. And it used to be the old saying was, if it's not good for my cow, I don't want it. Or the, the competitions with the wildlife. Well, as you can see riding around, we complement that. And we, compl- we complement plant diversity. Mm-hmm. We don't want to change the, the dynamics of biodiversity. Um, so we want to be in tune with that instead of working against it. Uh, so, like I told you at the beginning, 
a lot of people, if I say, well, this ranch can support 400 head of cows, first thing a normal rancher does is stocks it with 400 head of cows. Well, we'll never do that. We, 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 we'll stock three quarters of it or two thirds of it with cows. And then on a good year, you have a heavier cows, you have a win-win. Bad year, you get rid of the cows. I mean, you get rid of the cows early. Then you're not in the problem. Right. You don't have a problem. That's called sustainability. Um, we also put places on the ranch where we use it as a multiple use. We'll do some staging and prep those cows. If we have the forage and prep those cows <laughs> and keep them for 60 days, um, sometimes even longer. If we have the capability and, and get them all independent. You know, a lot of cows are sold. They're not mentally right. You know what I mean? Mentally. Mm -hmm. they're, they're still babies. They're, they're not, they're mentally challenged. Uh, they're physically, they're, they're not, they're not ready to go to the next level. Right. And um, we want to make sure ours are. Like I told you, in the old days, my can used to bet how many dead ones were in the truck. We don't have any dead ones in no trailer. And because they're expensive, and we don't want even a truck to wreck, even though the insurance money would take care of it, because that's our product. Right. You know, so we're really picky about the truck drivers picking them up. Right. Um, and, and, and our cowboys, like you said, they're not cowboys, they're vested. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I like to see that because I've worked on lots of outfits, you know, where you don't feel vested, you don't feel like you're a real part, you just feel like you're a, a, a hired, whatever but these guys they know that this place is depending on them just as much as they're depending on this place so uh, it's our legacy to keep this thing going past whenever we get real old mm -hmm. as you can see i'm not getting any younger uh it seemed like yesterday was kimberly is though yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what pond she's drinking out of but, uh, we can, we can, but uh, so we want to make sure this continues and i think we've really got something really special because you know now we're affecting four different tribes mm -hmm. and look a small producer has only got a handful of cows 15 cows maybe what kind of chances did he have if he was at the rock bottom of the cell barn end right to going up to the very top yeah forgetting the premium prices like you mentioned and then and and tell me a little bit like um how did you get to that um you know get to where you're at with in, in terms of the quality beef that you're shipping out is that largely the the breeding program or the the breeding and, and vaccination program i think i think it's I, I think it's all it's all a package it's all one big puzzle and and each piece has to fit in perfectly it's the feed yard it's the food distributor it's it's the producer it's the environment. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's all those factors are just like a jigsaw puddle, and they all have to fit perfect, perfectly to get the right formula. You can be the most experienced guy, but if you never took thousands and thousands ahead through the system, you're, you're pretty much just guessing. 
and you know what I mean, saying mm -hmm. well, this this will work out. Well, then then you can't you can't go with one trait. You have to you have to have a mixed bag. If you go after one trait, say conversions, feed conversions, mm -hmm. then then all the rest of the traits go down. So it has to be a blend uh, of special and the vaccinations. Yeah, but you have to make sure the timing's right, the spacing in between. Uh, you know, uh, and then we get a variety. You know, we use adrenaline at chipping time. Uh, for upper respiratory tract, we get them all AID tagged. And like I used to say, we used to have truckloads of rejects. And I hate to use the word rejects, we call them misfits. <laughs> um, that's a political <laughs> correct term. Okay. Um, they didn't fit. I mean, not take them to Berlin or one of the big cell blocks. And um, I'd have a whole crowd of people following me. Why well, buy a cow for my cow? You know. But you know what? Some of those cows were the highest priced cows in that cell bark. <laughs> Even though they were we would stand up and tell them all about it. Okay. You know what I mean? And represent them. Um, they might be, you know, like three-quarter Bremer. Well, if they're vaccinated to the hill, yeah. someone is going to want them. You know what I mean? Or they'd be like half Corianthi. Somebody would want it. Uh, but we couldn't use that for the program. Uh, is, it, is it a challenge? You know, we were, right before COVID, we were rocking. I mean, everything was just... I was invited to Santa Fe, the Chief Operating Officer of Labatt says, do you see those gentlemen there? And I said, yes I do. He said, they want to buy a million dollars worth of the beef product and we're having you here because we can't make a commitment to them unless you make a commitment to us and we're so we're going to double and then COVID hit and we had no customers because there were later. no restaurants right open that yeah, was they the biggest all the thing restaurants. Yeah. so that almost devastated us mm -hmm. uh, no restaurants but still cattle in the pipeline right and no place for them to go harvest facilities shutting down overfed it's just uh, our feed yard almost called it quits twice were they able to do anything with that supply chain like for example we had a little restaurant in springerville and then we were able to like sell groceries and you know not that that made a huge dent in that restaurant supply chain but they had to come together and we had to invent new marketing approaches we we did we did waiting for restaurants to open back up we had to do internet sales. Mm -hmm. We had to do, you know, remake product, cook product, mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Home delivery, mm -hmm. you know, everything to move product. People wanted it, we just, how, how do we get it to them? On the harvest facility, we had to dump some cattle into the into the commercial end market because we, we, we just didn't have that kind of capability. Mm -hmm. um, what happens is when when those cattle when those cattle get ripe, usually we were using uh, internal muscling ultrasound, so we know right when they're ready. Okay. But you know when you have no place to go with them, uh, you're gonna you're gonna increase their cost and decrease their quality, and so 
we were we were looking at how do we just shave shave off this end and and, and sell it into a, a big four packer sure and 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 then move it um you know we had with the restaurants closed you know thank god we had a great food distributor that said hanging in there because you know you could have got a phone call that says we're out too and right it had been it had been done um so uh you know it's everybody putting their minds together and saying okay we're, we're we'll get through this or we'll we'll all, we'll all fall too um, mm-hmm. but you know we, we've come back really about you know we won second in the texas meat i didn't know that contest second can you imagine little old arizona no name town only has two buildings in the old town in our driveway <laughs> one second in in the texas meat is that like is that a carcass judging contest yeah, or no, yeah, a yeah. Meat. A actually steak. actually steak oh wow we won oh, second cook-off. that's great yeah and we won first in arizona yeah congratulations yeah so awesome. you know we've come a long way yeah but you know we we just and and then to see you know to be here so long and watch these kids grow up uh and then you know you feel like you're in good hands you know yeah. in other words i'm going to be relying on you kids right next time around you know what i mean Absolutely. Um, which reminds me of the, you know, going back to the land stewardship legacy. Um, Kimberly, you were, you both of you were telling me about the award that uh, Bill was nominated for here, and you might find out by the end of the month. Can you tell us a little bit about that award and, um, you know, why uh, Bill and, and what he's done here at the ranch? It's Padres, really. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, sure. The, um, so Bill was nominated by the Arizona Cattle Growers um, for the National Stewardship Environmental Award. Right. right? That's what it's called. And um, he was nominated by, I guess, Arizona Cattle Growers. And we literally had a week to get the application in. Very prestigious award. And so uh, we went through and collected all of the data that Mr. Bill has started from day one all the way from like basically today and just the amount of um, infrastructure that went up, the amount of manpower that was involved to create the Padres Mesa demonstration ranch from one cowboy to Uh, three. (laughs) Yeah, we we got five seasonals and three full. And um, just the amount of cleanup the entire place took because it was an abandoned place and kind of like a no man's land kind of a forgotten place and nobody wanted it and so Bill took the time to really study um, the entire how much how many acres are we at we're at 64,000 64,000 acres it started off at 41 and yeah started off at 41 and to grow it to 64 and him and we're talking about sometimes he's hiking sometimes he's trying to figure out you know how, how far are we uh collecting forage rain yeah. um rain gauges and also making the improvements finding those erosions how do we fix this before it even it dissipates more 
um, the studying the ecosystem about just all the animals and wildlife that how do we keep that here to continue it and um, the the building of the pens all the way around yeah my goodness we had uh, the cowboys had to jump in and we've they've either came from trade of welding or um, plumbing yeah. uh, heavy equipment operators I mean even you know, just the type of manpower and their experiences and bringing it to the ranch and we're able to come together and rebuild this place and now that it is where it is at now, we've got people pulling and everybody wants it. Without like the only people that need it are the people that's done it. Right, right. It's a really yeah. unique place to be. And, and then how, mu how much wildlife did you see just going around? Yeah, we saw elk, pronghorn, coyote. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, a lot of know, them. And they look in harmony. Yeah. Yeah. And fat and happy. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> fat and happy. So, you know, yeah. And one of the other things that's, you know, we talked about today, and of course it's on everyone's mind in Arizona, is water. And you brought up a very good question. And, you know, I'm, I'll be scratching my head for a while until we know the answer. And that is... How much water do we have here in Arizona? If if we're if we're managing the land and so so well, and only two two in history ranches in Arizona has ever won that award. If we're if we're doing this so well, and our lives depend on it, and we're measuring the water up above, and we're measuring what we get on the ground and how much forage we have. Um, consistently every six months. My next question is how much water is underneath me so I can manage that better. So I can know. I don't want ever anybody in this community or one of our producers to turn on the deal and it's dry. And so I want to know. I also want to know how it's recharged. Because as you can see the Colorado River is not in very good shape. And our river down here is not in very good shape. So how's it recharged? Is it ancient water? How deep is it? Because we have wells that are going 900 feet deep and we have wells that are 45 feet deep. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that there's pockets of aquifer. I'm not, you know, like just born yesterday. Mm -hmm. But I do know that there's a large aquifer underneath us. And mm -hmm. with us being the third poorest county in America, do you know that we're the third poorest county in America? Is is that we should know and we should be uh, ahead of it, so that way we can be part of the decision making in case somebody wants to come and take it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want what's happening in California, um, which used to be paradise. Um, 30 years ago, I used to go to Red Bluff and think that was just the most drop-dead, gorgeous country. And, and now, you know, it's not so anymore and they're running out of water. So I, I would say, before the disaster hits, don't we need to know? Right. We need to know? Like we were talking, people in Nebraska know how much water they have in their aquifer. All the time. It's, yeah. on, it's on the news. I mean, every time right. you get in a pickup. Um, I used to listen to it in tractors and pickups and every morning. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say we need to know how much water. 
And I'm not knocking anybody. I just said, you know, like that big dairy in Wilcox made a big uh, run. And some people were saying, well, it's having an effect on our water. Do you know? Do, I mean, I want to know. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, if you have one well go down, one, your, your, your grazing schedule, all of our wells are about like two miles apart. Mm-hmm. So you can take one out. Now, now you have a big void. And it's $54,000 just looking at the problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. That could cost you in the $150,000 when we were talking about margins. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's see, you absorb that. You know, and, and a driller, they don't care whether they're drilling a hollow hole or something that's going to hit water because they're going to get paid either way. Right. Not to mention the entire, the little community of Sanders. You know, everyone down there relies on water. They want to be able to take showers and brush their teeth right. and right. cook mm-hmm. and drink. Ah, it comes out of that. So. And, um, mm-hmm. well, so, uh, you know, we've already had two towns that I know of that are running out of water mm-hmm. in, in, in Arizona. And one's a high affluent town. Mm-hmm. Right near Scottsdale, and they're running out of water. Um, Pine and Strawberry, they're running out of water. Well, I don't want to be next on the list. I'm just asking, mm-hmm. how's it recharged, and how much water do we have? Mm-hmm. I do know it flexes a lot because we have artesian wells out here, and when when they go, I feel safe. When they stop, I start looking pretty scary. We all get pretty nervous. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, where'd it go? Down the road over in Williamsburg, Arizona, when I was there, we put in a 5,600-foot well. Oh, whoa. Two million plus dollars. Wow. Yeah. They hit water. They hit good water. <laughs> yeah. That was and, pretty ancient. Yeah. Well, and, that's and, beyond our capability. Oh, we yeah. Can, we can't do Oh, that. sure. Well, the town of Williams tried two different times, $2 million dollars each around there, I believe, and um, failed both times because they get get so deep, and then part of the well's uh, drill would uh, break off. And so, Arizona now provides water for most of that community. Uh, anybody that's hauling. Well, let's be honest. If you look in if you look in history, St. John's mm-hmm. was a big accent there. They they grew silage. They had farm fields everywhere. Um, you know, you you talk to those old timers. They had lots of water. The water ran in the little Colorado River all the time. Well, it don't run. And they don't farm much anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to really talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, we need to. So, so yeah, that's if I think that's our next mission mm-hmm. is to find out what's underneath us. And I think we have all right to do that. And if they don't know, then uh, we're going to pry them to find out. Um, because I don't want to turn on the tap. Nothing's yeah. out. Yes. Um, we've already had two wells go down. And, and I think we're in pockets. Um, one we just naturally shut down. One was right over here off the interstate uh, on Padres. And it just started sucking mud. So we just said, that's it. Um, and then the other one was over there on Little Chambers Ranch in it, and it took us another pipeline to run from a, another 
well to that to that one and um, put that tank and then run a pipeline. Another thing we're doing that's innovative is we're, we're we're putting all the water improvements that's included in our neighbors, not potteries. Um, and it's not our money. We we're just ahead on the run, but uh, it's incorporating wind and solar mm -hmm. at every water development. And that way, if the wind blows and the and and the sun's shining, you're going to get double and put big storage tanks. Uh, and then when the wind stops and temperature goes up, um, we still have water coming. That's smart because uh, then sometimes you even get wind at night when you don't yeah. have the sun. Exactly. So, yeah. So we incorporate it into the same well, and um, it. It, it's really improving but does that come from all of us no that's because we have biodiversity wildlife pitching in federal government pitching in you know everybody pitching in um, to make that happen we we just we we just uh, we don't even do it ourselves cowboys aren't very good well operators i found out and they don't <laughs> climb up very high <laughs> Um, last time I sent two cowboys about 16 up a windmill. hands. Uh, yeah, about, about, last time I sent two cowboys, they got stuck three quarters of the way up a uh -oh. windmill. You know what I mean? Did you and go like, after them? And like, uh, <laughs> I, I was one of them. <laughs> so I said, uh, this isn't working out too good. Uh, um, but uh, like one cowboy said, this is higher than everything bucked off a horse. This That's is too high. Right. And so, so uh, you know, we kind of hang hang there for a little while and then like uh should we go further no and then i said i have to climb over you to get down <laughs> uh, um, but anyway uh so we live that but we just coordinate it and with contractors and um you know i i think in 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 today's deal networking in the beef industry is uh is critical and I mean, reaching out to food distributors, tribes, the four packers, anybody, wildlife service, anybody, instead of fighting and butting heads and go, I got too many elk and what are you going to do about it and get an old and say, how, how, how can that, how can that benefit both of us? Yeah. Oh, well, how's a hundred thousand dollars on water improvement? Oh, well, I, you know, I think, I think we can yeah. manage a uh, little bit of elk. We can work than, together on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, and then plus the cowboys, it really lifts the cowboy spirits when, you know, they ride in and all of a sudden they're riding into a herd of elk. Mm -hmm. it's, they feel like dancing with wolves. Yeah. You know, the movie or something. Right. And they come back and go, oh, that was really cool. You know how close I got to that one? I could have jumped off and just grabbed him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. Or, did you see that big monster? He was just walked right up. You guys need an Instagram or a TikTok or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I guess um, as we kind of wrap up here, I would, one of the other ways I know Kimberly from is through uh, 4-H and FFA through the county fairs. And I know you're, you're really active there. Um, I can imagine you're kind of able to, to stay in that sort of ag leadership role and um, I know you, you were mentioning that you had a bunch of students here yes. too. So um, 
tell, tell us a little bit about what you hope for the future of the youth in your area and, you know, how Padre Mesa, how you hope, you know, Padre Mesa continues to be a part of that. Yes. Um, so I, we started a 4-H club, uh, at least, gosh, I think right when I got done teaching with uh, my sisters and I. And we really wanted to focus it towards uh, our community on um, how do we preserve our grandparents' teaching through traditional grazing, um, the traditional ways of life, and so on and so forth. And so we decided we started a 4-H club and it would reach out to the majority of other families. And so today now we have a group of, I think, 12 to 15 different kids in our club and um, coming from the Newlands area, as well as Ganado and Kiflachi. And so we're, we're pretty out there. And um, our age range starts from, oh gosh, I think our youngest booster is like four years old. Cute oh, as a button. That's awesome. How far is Ganado from here? Uh, Ganado is a good, what, 45, 45 okay. minutes it's away. A bit of a haul, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, 45 minutes away. We'd say and, that's uh, right around the corner. Right. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Kiflachi's a little further as well. So, um, very extent, and to have that type of connection with families and stuff it speaks volumes to know that, you know, families out there um, do hold agriculture to heart and to dear, and that makes me very happy for the future. And um, to know that we have Padres Mesa Demonstration Ranch to reach out to the youth and to come home to and really learn about agriculture and sustainability and traceability and the uniqueness of it and um, know that it is their families that are doing this and um, brings pride and it really is a a feel-good moment type thing and hope that it stays for a long haul for I know that the past generation would really appreciate that this tradition continues to go as well as uh, the legacy that, I mean, gosh, Mr. Bill Inman and his team of Cowboys, the work that they've done here. I hope that this stays here for a long time for them to really take over and grasp hold um, because it's a unique, very, very unique um, story and operation. And to bring them here to see them um, soak it all up during a branding mm-hmm. or during a workshop. Um, we were just here two weeks ago and we did a leadership uh, training workshop here and we kind of broke down, you know, what is, um, what does it take to be a team and what are those accomplishments? And so we were able to use uh, Bill and his team on how they're able to, to succeed and what the amount of leadership role it takes from everybody. Um, so we covered everything from the lazy affair leadership all the way down to the, you know, the person that's going to delegate things, what type of leadership would you be and things like that. So it just kind of opened their eyes, um, consistently. So they're all excited to come for the branding on the 18th. Um, but just the amount of leadership and education constantly happening here, it's amazing. And then to know that you have, um, traditional side also tied into it. Uh, Jean, who is uh, Navajo and speaks, you know, that's, fluently in that's them. Navajo and in English. Okay. Um, that ties a lot of the culture aspects to it. And students are able to kind of see both sides. Um, I always like to say, like, you know, learn how to balance the worlds that you come from. 
you know, that's going to be important for you as you grow up to be a young individual and you're going to be leaving. That's the one thing that we struggle with the most. So if you can kind of figure that out now, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to be in a better shape and form. And so, um, but yeah, I hope that Padres Mesa stays here for the long haul. So that our Do you have um, any of those for each families that participate in Navajo beef right now? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, my sister and her family are part of the beef program. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin brother, who which is uh, Farrell Yazzie and his family, they are the JY Livestock. And they're some of the first families that That's awesome. got mm-hmm. on with us and yeah. have been with us from day one, from struggles of developing it down to, you know, finding the, the genetics, the EPDs and the vaccines. They yeah. were with us day one and actually he's heading up now he's heading up our order department that's great do you have any um 4-h graduates that have become part of navajo beef as like they've they've grown up and become producers or is it too too soon yet your your nephew is the youngest navajo producer my, my nephew is the youngest Navajo producer. That's great. Um, and then you have, uh, let's see, anybody else within the community? Mm. Uh, that grew that grew up that's still real active. I think, yeah, I think they're, they're still... Yeah. That's no small feat. Yeah. That's no yeah. small feat that with, you know, within any family mm-hmm. to keep people on the farm or ranch and, and to keep them as well, producers. Well, you know, permits, uh, livestock permits are very sacred. So old people like to hold on to them, and they're really, really, really sacred. And old people don't, but they'll, they'll actually pass away without dealing with it. So tell me what that means in terms of a permit. So if I'm a young um, Navajo person in this area, I can't automatically just get a permit to raise livestock? Right. Um, you have to apply for it, or if your family doesn't have it, you have to go to the Navajo Nation and wait years and years and years and see if you do get approved for one. Right. Um, but majority of the families that we work with, the 80 families from here, all have permits. And so okay. basically what's been custom is if the elder has passed, it usually stays within that family. Okay. And it just kind of stays and continues unless someone opts. I don't want to do is the permit for a number of animals, or is it just it's, a? It's for a number race. of animals. Okay. It's twenty head, gotcha. um, and it's based off of sheep units and mm. things. So okay. They can do sheep, cattle, and horses. They okay. just have to keep it within that twenty. Gotcha. Head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a, uh, and, and and that's how it's been set up. So you know these permits, uh, even on the Navajo Nation, which which doesn't have any rules and those permits still mean something Mm -hmm. to those elderly people and it means they have a permit Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's maybe not that different than like a just a grazing allotment that we might have exactly forest service or blm yeah Mm -hmm. basically the same the same thing but you have to share it with other permittees Mm -hmm. um and like a forest service in common use Sure. Um, and um, they all have to play by somewhat same rules. Now, what we do is we don't run the enforcement because we don't want to be the cow cops. Um, we don't run the, the compliance department. We let another, because I don't want a cowboy out there going, 
You know what I mean? And this is a no-no when he's trying to help somebody. I don't want the cowboy to know how many these people have, how many these people have. He's there, and he's there to, to let the grass tell him how many. Mm-hmm. And then they can, they can work it out. They can work it out. Now, we do have a compliance team um, that are separate from us that go and stock count all these animals twice a year and make sure they're in compliance. We just give them the data uh, to get that number. And you know what I'm really proud of is that usually in, in these neighborhoods, when you give them a chance to expand, people want to expand to the limit, normally. Mm-hmm. Well, when we gave these folks uh, the opportunity to expand, they said, we're used to seeing grass, we don't want to, we don't want to do it anymore. We, we don't uh, want to increase. That's awesome. All of them. We don't want to increase because mm-hmm. we've seen the result. Mm-hmm. We want to stay now because we don't want to feed. We're, we're used to seeing grass now. Yeah. And so, you know, because our data said, well, here's a great time for everybody to increase. I think that's what the award is basically based around, is what Bill was able to do was to educate to our producers the land has to come first and the cattle next. And with the way he did it, with collecting the range and the forage and the data and keeping that and giving a image to where they can actually see what's going on now, like he expressed earlier, you can stand here and look across and it looks like the land looks great. But if you fly up on top and you put your drone and use your different tools and you're able to see something else, uh, a different, I guess, vision, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, I think I want to go back to my herd and I'm going to sort who, who, who's staying and who's going because mm-hmm. we're headed in the wrong direction. And yeah. so he did an awesome job in just educating and, and, and that. It was, it was always, when we first got here, it was how many, how many, how many. Yeah. Everybody was always griping about, mm-hmm. we want to run more, we want to run more, we yeah, want to run more. They were so used to open range. And I mean, yeah. my grandma had like 50 to 80 head of sheep and cattle and yeah. no control, no anything. Because she had these summer camps and she would go all over sure. the place, yeah. you know, all the families. Yeah. And everyone worked together and everything else. It was, so it, was, it just sounds so great because you would hear these stories from them. Mm-hmm. And then when they came here, it was just... Kind of like, okay, now you've got these new rules. Here's what happens. And it was like, you just broke my heart. Yeah. But then as they continued to listen and keep, and as Bill educated like a broken record, it finally sunk in and the rewards were amazing. And here Um, we are doing with beef labels. Normally, and I I don't want, you know, these agencies have a tendency to micromanage folks. Well, I, I don't I don't I don't see that as being successful or over regulating folks. I, I think folks just need uh, uh, the data and the tools and the, and the tools mm-hmm. and not just the data and some scientific bizarre mm-hmm. thing you can't understand. We try to keep it simple mm-hmm. um, and we actually uh, encourage per, per, uh, permittees to go with the cowboys and because it's easier for the cowboys if there's people helping them and uh, 
and it's their land. We always say that too. It's your land. It's not ours. We're just here to help you along. We're we're not. You know, I mean, we're we're on borrowed time. It's yours, and we're just here to make it better. Um, you know, if you if you if if you don't let the grass get ahead of you, so to say, and it's always behind you. Well, how's that sustainable? Mm-hmm. If you're always eating it faster than it can ever grow, then it never renews life. It never goes to seed. I mean, look how much Indian rice grass you've seen that yeah. was coming up. Um, you don't see we that anywhere any else up here. We, we haven't Northern had any Arizona. rain. We haven't yeah. had any rain. None. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and when people see that, uh, unfortunately, there's areas in Arizona that they've never had the land fully go where it should be they're eating it down faster than they than they can Mm -hmm. another thing is it's data you know you can go out there and be the old cowboy and go oh there's plenty of feed out there but like (laughs) kim said that that is not necessarily true Mm -hmm. you know there could be a lot of blank spots you can't see right and um uh drone technology is great uh, I've seen too many ranchers go against the Forest Service, and the Forest Service might be wrong, or the state lands, but the rancher has no data. So who wins? Right. You have no data, and you can't tell them how you come. You can't just say, I'm right, because mm-hmm. they'll say, well, here's our data. Mm-hmm. You know? And how, how are you going to prove it's wrong? So uh, I, I think data, but you need to make it fun invested you know if you run transets all over the place and you gotta measure and do the dot and the dash cowboys ain't gonna do that just give them a bunch of baggies and say go to this point this point this point Mm -hmm. this point a hoop and hook it on their horse and some baggies and go yeah go get it boys i mean you know it's and and they're like sure okay i'll do that we even got guys that said, I'll go, I'll, I'll head that up, you know. Nice. Um, so, I, I think uh, it, it's great. And then once people see grass, they're like, we want to leave that. Yeah. We, we don't want to turn the dirt again. But that's better than any award. The award will be great. <laughs> but knowing that, that's, that's quite a legacy. And then the kids here, you know, the kids here, they're used to seeing it now. Yeah. You know, so you go off in other parts and it's devastating. Right. I mean, there's no forage at all. It's just dirt. Yeah. Yeah, we've got one kid who did range management for their project. And yeah. Stuff and just, awesome. Yeah. And we're not botanists. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, we're, you know, I don't know the Latin term for all these plant species. <laughs> And some of them, I, I really don't, I really don't, you know, I'm like, that's fine. If a botanist wants to come with us and join us, if a wildlife biologist wants to come join us, hey, we're all, you know, we're all here. Um, so uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think uh, young kids, do they have to have a ranch? Well, look at her kids, Kim's kids. They're very active, I mean, in showing livestock. Mm-hmm. That's probably better than some ranch kids have it. Oh, know? yeah. And uh, so... Uh, 
I've seen her daughter show. She's amazing. She is. She's, oh yeah, absolutely. She's amazing. And, and so, so intense. And, yeah. You know, and then they inspire kids. Yeah. So um, they don't have a permit. Right. So it's not all about owning a permit or right. having to be for sure a, a rancher. You know. For sure. And uh, so and they can still be advocates. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you could be an advocate. In, in our industry and not even own an animal right you know what I mean just just be smart and be a part of it absolutely um, you know what I mean and, and uh, I um, it's just I, I just I just wanted to make it I think the the, the team we have here um, should not be like his Padre Mesa politically correct or is in a political position to continue. I think they need to be just concentrating on drought, water, like you say. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think in my heart, if we fall below seven inches of rainfall, like I told you three years in a row, then our viability is gonna go way down. But you know what my team says? You can always replace the cows, but you can't replace the land. Right, those are words to live by for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can't think of a better um, idea to end on. And I want to thank you both so much for your time and for showing me around. I know I've got tons of takeaways um, for our own operations and and just for industry in general. And I I hope that I know that our uh, listeners, uh, whether they're advocates or consumers or or ranchers, I think they're going to have lots to take away, too. So thank you both very much. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Desert Ranch Podcast. We hope we gave you a good look into the lives of those that care for land and livestock far past the 9-to-5 lifestyle. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week.